Thanks for tuning in to the Bigger at Hunters podcast. Guys, we got a fun one for you today. We had the pleasure of sitting down and talking to Josh from GV Jukebox. Uh, if you haven't heard what that is, GV Jukebox is an e-collar brand for hunting snows in the spring, which we love to do. Uh, guys, he he knows his stuff, man. He gives us some tips and tricks, talk about hunting out in South Dakota, and uh, tells us about a few experiences, including killing 200 birds in one day, which is crazy. Uh, but before we kind of get into that, guys, this guy, Josh, is amazing. He, uh, no way Juvie Jukebox sponsors the podcast, but I do really like their product. We've used the last two or three years. Uh, we started with one, we just got to two. Well, <laughs> we managed to fry one last Thursday when we were out hunting, and uh, we, we've Basically, we fried some of the wires. Uh, I thought we fried the amp, so I ended up going ahead and ordering another one. Uh, I shot Josh a text after we got done with the podcast and said, hey, is there any way you can overnight this? He did. It uh, got here, managed to use it, kill a few over it. So just uh, basically what I'm saying is Josh is a stud. So this guy is through and through a great business owner, uh, great product, and you won't want to miss it. So before we get to there, uh, one of our sponsors, this uh, episode is brought to you by Whitetail Classics Taxidermy, owned by Jody Schultz out of Louisville, Nebraska. Uh, check his stuff out on Facebook, and then check out his website, Whitetail Classics Taxidermy. Um, if, say if you manage to kill, like Jeremy this last weekend, gets to, gets to kill a pristine, I'm talking like a pristine, white, mature, Ross Goose. He's going to take it in because he's got a blue, he's got a spec, and now he's going to finish off the tri trifecta. You need to you need to call Jody Schultz at 402-630-0031 and make sure to get it booked with him because he's, I, I promise you, he, he's going to have the final touches and you're going to want to bring that home and put it on the wall and show everybody. So, all right, guys, I appreciate it. Let's jump in the podcast. Welcome back to the Bigger Hunters podcast. Today it's Hunter and my co-host Jeremy. What a brother, 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 and uh, Josh from Juvie Jukebox. How we doing, buddy? Good. Before we get too far in the podcast, you want to uh, let us know or let a, our listeners know where to find you? At? Yeah, you guys can check us out on uh, JuvieJukebox.com. Otherwise, we have a Instagram and a Facebook, which is also under Juvie Jukebox. Cool. Uh, how I got actually, I got connected with you um, was through social media, but I actually love your guys' products. We've been using it for quite a while, and uh, uh, I guess probably we could probably get started off about what, what your product is. Okay. Uh, we make e collars and uh, custom. Um, we make two different snow goose collars, one with four speakers and then one with... Uh, 
two speakers built right into the box and then offer 16 different uh, custom audio tracks that you can either use on our callers or basically any caller on the market. Um, so yeah, uh, our biggest focus is increased audio clarity and quality. Well, cool. How did, uh, just curious, how'd you get started into making those? So, I mean, originally, um, so I'm the only owner of the company now, but me and a buddy had been building our own collars probably since like 2008 or nine. Um, and really got into it around 2011 or 12 and, uh, just, kept building collars and getting better at it. And then we, we kind of noticed, um, you know, some, some of our buddies had collars that were being sold on the market at the time and just kind of felt that we could come up with a, you know, higher quality product and then sell it at a more affordable price. Um, and the biggest thing was we switched from using, uh, like a typical, power horn speaker like in 2015 and started hunting over uh, just like your regular outdoor speakers um, and just noticed how much better the birds worked and decoyed over them and so in 2017 we uh we decided to come out with a collar and since then it's uh, been rolling so and that yeah i think uh I think the best the best products end up on the market end up coming from people who really have a passion and then take that passion and develop it into something that's even even better than it was before. Um, that, that's, yeah, absolutely. I think that definitely shows itself in its product. Um, just as a curious, how, how long have you been hunting snail geese? So I've been hunting snail geese since my let's see, sophomore year of high school, so try to do the math on that but um graduated high school in 2011 so 2009 somewhere in there that's a long that's a long time to be chasing snow geese i'm surprised you have the patience for all that (laughs) (laughs) yeah no they definitely make you uh want to pull your hair out sometimes that's for sure so i don't know the last the last two or three years man it's been it's been rough going nebraska and um, I think the first year I had never snow goose hunted. I had a buddy that did and we, uh, I think I went out like maybe two hunts and I think we killed one or two. I don't know how many they killed that year, but the second year I went like watched thousands. I don't know. I would probably see at least 500,000 snow geese and did not kill one. And then yep. last year, last year we got set up in a better spot and I think we killed like 30 or 40, which isn't great, but it's, I mean. It is what it is, and then this year we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thirty or forty—that's about your average. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of guys say about twenty is about the average spring snow goose hunt. So, any anything after that, you're doing pretty good, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. We we put in a lot of effort for not a lot of uh, pie. I'll just say pie. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's actually, we're running a little bit late tonight, Jeremy and I, because we, uh, we went out. So there was a pond that we, we, uh, I guess my buddy's hunted before. And the hard part that we run into is these geese, they get up Missouri, that area, and then they either go straight at Missouri, come straight to you guys. Well, I guess not necessarily you, you're, you're out West, like rapid city, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Either they they'll they'll go straight to South Dakota, or they'll peel out and go west. And uh, when they peel out and go west, we tend to do better because we hunt up in that that area. But it's man, there's some years they just skirt and go straight up, which definitely gets rough. But we we picked out this pond. The hard part is in the last two three years has been a bunch of trees that grew up. And uh, we ended up having to go cut, like, all of them down, which the farmer's really happy about. He loves it. He, he gets <laughs> his cut down. He was – we called him, do you mind if we cut down those trees? Like, no, no, I love that. You, Yeah, you guys cut his – you kill you, – you cut them all down. <laughs> so we're end up, we went through and cut through most of them, and it, I mean, it's a couple of days work, worth of work, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. So you guys hunting birds that are coming off of like Squaw Creek then or? Yeah. So we, we mostly hunt, um, up, I would say, I want to say like maybe somewhere between 50 and hundred miles from Squaw Creek. So okay. we're, we go straight up. If you're like Squaw Creek, you'd be straight up and then you go straight West. So okay. now some of the, like I said, some of those birds end up going straight up to Missouri. It's a pain in the butt cause they just go, but you know, if they go west, the nice part is I will say the area we hunt. There's not a lot of competition in terms of like guys that hunt that area, so mm-hmm. that's definitely a plus. But we don't have necessarily the quantity of birds. I think that's just because the east side of the state can be really hit or miss. Yeah, we don't have the you know we don't have the plat running just straight through like the west side does. Right. Yeah, right. I've hunted hunted Nebraska for spring snows twice, and uh, we hunted. Um, like kind of over by Gothenburg, so a lot oh, further yeah. west than but yeah. the area where all uh, the, where all the snows are. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. It was a it's definitely a lot goofier down there than up here. Um, just seemed like they followed the river a lot more, and just uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was cool, but it was it was interesting. So I would. I would definitely say Nebraska is not the premier place to go. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. And then I guess, you know, you don't hear a lot of people hunting in Nebraska either in the spring for some reason. So there's, I mean, there's a few guys, there's a few guys that up on the Missouri, like north of, north of Omaha that do it. I know there's some guys around Kearney, but you know, it's usually, you could usually tell what premier places are in terms of like hunting things when there's a lot of outfitters and that, it's I, it's hard to come to mind of any outfitters in Nebraska. So, right. <laughs> there was actually like I would say like four or five, maybe longer than that. Five, maybe five or six years ago, there was actually a couple outfitters in the area we we hunt now, but they've moved out because the last couple of years the snows didn't even hit our area. So, uh, hmm. we'll see, we'll see what happens. But that that's the thing is those those snows they'll fall that Missouri if there's like the last couple of years has been a lot of backwater. <clears throat> from the Missouri flooding, especially two years ago and last year, there was still a decent amount of slack water, and they, you know, they like sitting on that slack water. But when it's the Missouri's low and it's r- running really fast, they like to get off of that and get on ponds. So that's that's kind mm-hmm. of our bread and butter. But what is Rapid City like in terms of like landscape? Oh, so you mean we got the Black Hills here um, with you know Mount Rushmore and all that stuff, but then you you get not too far east of, well, basically right where Rapid City ends and go east, north, or south, and it's pretty, pretty much just flat prairie. Um, 
you know, we grow a lot of like wheat out here and there is some corn, but not a ton. Um, and then it's pretty much like that until you get to the Missouri river and they get east and then it's just, you know, flat and cornfields everywhere and stuff like that. So. Gotcha. Um, do you normally, do you guys set a spread or you guys chase feeds? Oh, uh, we've, we've done a little of both. It just kind of depends on, you know, what, what time of the spring it is. Um, you know, typically like earlier in the spring, like first couple of weeks, the birds show up. Um, it, it kind of always seems like even if you do find a good feed that those birds sometimes don't ever come back, you know, they might feed hard for a day and then go back, hit water and then take off and migrate or they just pick a different field in the morning. So, I mean, we'll try to get on like a feed and then usually just sit there for the rest of the day and, um, hunt the spread or like kind of like what you're saying, find a good pasture pond or a cornfield with some water in it and just try and target migrators. Um, and then later in the season, then that's when we start, you know, typically just trying to target feeds. Um, so, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys run for a spread? Uh, we got a couple different things. We, um, full bodies and socks. Most of our socks are solo socks. So just kind of, you know, having two options, like you got a four wheel into the field and socks are a lot easier to, you know, get out in the field. But if you can drive in, which it's been extremely dry this winter, uh, East River. So I don't anticipate not being able to drive into a whole lot of stuff in most areas. So you can drive into the field, uh, full bodies all day long, but you know, sometimes when you got a set of bigger spread, then you kind of run both of them or just socks. It just kind of, you know, it kind of depends. So, yeah, I, I was watching a UC video the other day and he was talking about how he's, he's seen that solo socks still work. They definitely do. Cause a lot of people use them, but he was kind of referring to the fact that they run all full bodies because he thinks that the the snow geese tend to, I mean, they tend to commit a lot better with full bodies. Is that something you experience, or what's your opinion? I think I, you know, it's it's hard to say for sure, but I think the full bodies definitely help, especially when um, there's more adult birds in the birds that you're hunting or a low wind situation. Uh, then the full bodies definitely help finish birds a lot more, but we've killed tons of birds over socks. And, you know, there's a lot of birds that still get shot over socks. It just kind of depends on the situation. Um, I would say, you know, obviously full bodies give you the, the better chance. Um, but socks definitely still have their, their time and place. Yeah. My big thing is just, I, for us at least, it, to full, to, like put together a full body spread of like eight or 800 to a thousand, man, that's a chunk of change. So it's nice to help us bulk our spread of socks. I think that's a big thing for us. And I don't know, we run about, uh, I think somewhere around like two to 2,300 decoys and we add to it every year, but man, I I would love to run a full body spread, but the chunk of change you would have to invest (laughs) would be ridiculous. Yeah. And even like used decoys right now are just like, crazy in price so what kind of socks are you guys running oh i've i've mixed and matched of everything so i i started by buying tangle freeze 
and because I, I I like tangle free stuff like duck and goose stuff, and then um, what did I? I felt like I I bought something else last year, and then this year I kind of went to what is it? Uh, the snow sock or sky or skyfly? There you go. Sky oh, okay, flies. yeah, yeah. Those are those are really good decoys. And then last year, my buddy bought. He had some. Was it the white rocks he bought used for my guy? But man, like between the hard part for this year, at least for me was I was looking at buying some more and just the availability is hard to get. Cause I was looking at buying some sky flies and they're, they've got that like big migrator pack for like 1400 bucks. And I think it's like 40 dozen and they, mm-hmm. they couldn't even, they wouldn't even ship theirs out until March 1st, which it's, you know, we'll probably get next week. We're probably going to get our first push of adults which it's not that big a deal, but it was hard because it was like, well, there was like, <laughs> I managed to research some like farm supply place that had some sky flies and I ended up buying it from them. Um, okay. But uh, I, I, I mean, Tangle Free seemed to be out. Uh, I don't, I think Dive Bomb at the time was out of stock. And um, what else? The other, I, I think the only one that really had them in stock was White Rocks. And I, Nothing against White Rock, but they are not cheap. I will say that. Yeah, no, they're they're definitely not. <laughs> um, were those sky? Were you getting those skyflies directly from Skyfly then? So they would have shipped them from China, or no? They were uh, some farm and house supply place. It was. <laughs> I just typed in Skyfly and it popped up. I'll look it up real quick. Actually, I'm kind of curious. Huh. It was like farm, home, and supply, and I was like, I. Yeah, we'll see if I end up with them, but they, I mean, they said China on them, so I'm assuming they went to Skyfly, Skyfly probably sold, sold them to them, and then they sold yep. me, I guess. Because, <clears throat> from my understanding, Skyfly's back east, and it seemed like that, um, that, that place was from back east, so maybe it's like a local place that sells them, I don't know. Great. I guess I, I don't know if the dynamics of the company have changed, but when we first started Juvie Jukebox, um, that's kind of when Skyfly was just getting rolling. And uh, we we actually were a drop seller. like So we'd sell their socks on our website, and then they would just drop ship them um, directly from China. And at the time, it was uh, the guy that owned the company was from China. His name was Wayne. I don't know if that was his actual name or just the name he used to deal with people in the United States. But so, yeah, you, you know, you'd get an order and then send him the order and then he'd ship them from China. And typically like they'd be there like within four to seven days. Um, and then it just kind of seemed like he was having more and more people do it. And it was just another thing that we had to deal with. So we kind of just, you know, went away from it but we did have a pile of those decoys at one time and then i i moved from east river south dakota I lived there for eight years and then i moved back here and then i was like yeah like we're not gonna do much snow goose hunting this year so i ended up selling them but definitely probably my favorite sock that's being made right now yeah i was actually just about to ask you if you had any <laughs> so i thought about buying some more jeremy will give me crap for that so Jeremy today, actually, you, you go ahead. You go ahead. I, I, I won't give him <clears throat> too much crap for it. It's just funny. Like, and in the last year, I've getting to know you more. I've noticed this. Hunter goes through moods so fast. So like, a 
couple weeks ago, he's he just is like, I don't know if I even want a snow goose hunt this year. Our waterfowl season was so depressing as it was. I'm not gonna do it. And then he's like, <laughs> I'm not gonna do it, but I think I'm. I think I should buy more decoys, but I don't want to buy more decoys. And then it turned into, uh, I, th- I think I'm really going to buy decoys, but I just really don't want to go hunting at all. And then it was, I'm going to buy decoys. Oh, yeah, I'm going hunting. Oh, I'm super excited about it now. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it's weird. And, like, this whole this whole time, all that's been going down. Uh, I've been trying to make Hunter a turkey hunter this year, so I've been like, just go turkey hunting. But yeah, actually, it's it's funny. Like, so I've never done a whole lot of snow geese hunting. I went like, wow, you talked about guides in Nebraska. My dad went with a guide like once or twice when I was like 10 and I went on those hunts. Never had a whole lot of luck, (laughs) Um, but is what it is. So this really honestly is going to be the first year that I even experienced true snow goose hunting in any fashion, whether it's chasing fields or like with what Hunter and his group does, they, they just put up a, a, uh, spread. So it was fun. It was actually, today was a lot of fun really getting to, uh, put everything together. And I'm actually, I won't lie. I'm a little excited about it now. A little excited about <laughs> it. <laughs> this whole time I've been like, man, I'm just waiting for turkey season. But now I'm like, all right, this gives me something to do until turkey season. See here. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Here's the process I went through because he gives me crap about it. So, like, <laughs> Canada season, like, we did, like, we... You guys kill 150 birds this year? Yeah, so, like, normal years we killed somewhere between 200 and 300 birds. We killed 150, so we killed about half. And, like, I would say, like, it was feast or famine. We had, like, yeah, we'd go in a streak of, like, really hot. Or, very feast or famine. If I went, they didn't kill birds. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> We kill birds, kill birds, and then we just go for like a week stray where we couldn't kill anything, and then it would pick back up. A lot of it was due to weather, but you know, it was just one of those ending to like Canada season. I was just like, I'm I'm just kind of out of motivation, and then kind of got into one pond, and then I was like, you know, I'm kind of excited, and then we found this other pond. It's like okay, I'm actually pretty excited now, and I ordered some. I mean, ordered those socks. It was it was bad enough that he was saying things like, "If this snow goose season sucks, I might be done snow goose hunting." So I, 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 I'm, I'm still not. That's the thing is, I'm still not a, completely against that because, like, I've I, like I've I've definitely spent my fair share of dollars and cents and buying snow goose decoys. And of course, the crazy thing is, is I'll be on like one good hunt with you guys this year. Yeah, we'll shoot like I don't know, fifteen to twenty or something crazy hey. like that. Yeah, and, and then next year I'll be you'll be like I don't know it's just not worth the work and I'll be like are you kidding me let's go snow goose hunting like, <laughs> flip like here's the thing if we kill if we say I'm putting a magic number if we kill forty this year like I'm I'm plum happy yeah I really am we'll see right well I I bet you every snow goose hunter has considered quitting snow goose hunting at some time or another I know I definitely have so oh, well, I I just look at the whole situation <laughs> I, I asked you. To, today hunter how many decoys you guys run and i was like doing quick math i was like oh my goodness <laughs> the amount of money that yeah, goes the into amount it? of money yeah. that goes into snow goose so we're we're putting out this like i bought it at, at backup 
we're cutting trees, got on cutting trees, and then I bought a new bag of, uh, I bought 20 dozen and then a bag to go with the sky flies and stuff. We were putting them out, and he's, like, looking around, and he starts doing the math. I'm like, dude, just these 20 dozen right here, 800 bucks, like, it's like, yeah. start putting together, because yeah. we got about 10 dozen full bodies, probably five or six dozen shells, and then silo socks, and then you got the flyers, and then we got a couple rotaries, and then you got obviously juvie ju box. We got a couple of years, and so like you just add all that stuff up, like it's a big number. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is not. Uh, it's not a cheap hobby. That's that's for sure. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how. That's the big thing is I don't know how somebody new would get into it. Obviously, like Jeremy because he knows somebody, but man. Well, that's been my thing. I've always wanted to do it, and like. I've tried from time to time to get on a, like a jump or something like that. But like by the time, cause I think a lot of the snows like, and it's why you guys put out a spread. They just fly through Nebraska. So like you, you try and get on a jump and they might be gone by the next morning or something like that. But I've never, I've never gotten into it because of the expense. Yeah. About, like, mm-hmm. That's why I've always been a duck hunter, even Canada's. Like yeah. up until last year, I was like, it's just too expensive to get into. And then I started buying decoys last year and then this year really. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's your thoughts on, uh, jump shooting? Are you, are you a hater of jump shooting or? Uh, I guess, you know, I don't mind if guys are jump shooting. Um, you know, I'm not like a massive, like, Oh, like don't go jump shoot birds. I think the, I think the only really thing that bothers me is some of these, some people tend to, uh, sneak roosts in the in like the dark sneak them so we'll sneak in there in the morning and then shoot up a roost or whatever and tip like i guess that's not the end of the world but uh, a lot of times you know there's some other birds in there that end up getting shot and so that's that's why i don't oh. do it anymore it's just because you know you're on the risk of shooting a speck or a duck or but i mean if you can get into a situation where you know for sure that there's only you know there's only snow geese there and then i as long as you're, as long as people are doing it legally, I guess I don't have an issue with it at all. That's fair. I just asked that because I feel like there's, there tends to be three camps. There's the guys that could care less, the guys like you, and then the guys that are, we, so we, we like, we like to call them the gentlemen. They really just don't like you doing that at all. And I'm probably, mm-hmm. I'm definitely in the middle camp. I'm not a huge fan of guys that exclusively jump shoot because I just feel like it is very, like for me, and and I say this a lot, like doing all the work to put everything out and like get under snow geese and doing the work is a part of the experience. And I feel like you're just cutting out the experience because you want to be lazy and kill something. Like that's really what it's about. Yeah. And I, that's the thing is I, for me, we probably, my group probably will jump shoot maybe once a year, but that's once a year rather than just exclusively driving around every weekend just to find, just to find roost to go jump, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. That's just well, and it's also, it's also like, you know, jump shoot, you know, you got about 30 seconds worth of uh, excitement and then just picking up cripples and shooting cripples yeah. and stuff like that, where, you know, when you actually set decoys and it actually works, I mean, you know, then there's like hours of fun and you can think back on, on that experience. But, um, 
I mean, I guess the goal of the conservation order is to shoot as many snow geese as possible. So I guess as long as, you know, people are doing it right. then I mean, it does, it does, it does suck when you're, you're sitting in your spread and the sun's coming up and you know where the roost is and all of a sudden it just gets blown up. But yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of part of, you know, any waterfowl hunting, you know, there's always the chance of somebody busting the roost. So just, uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's one thing that would suck, but I don't know. I guess I've never run into that, but I'm sure, I feel like South Dakota, the way it's more of the kind of like the prairie. I mean, you're, I know you're a little farther west than that, but I feel like there'd be a lot of broke up smaller roosts where it is. Like we tend to have big roosts that they all kind of compact together on, but. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some of those ponds driving around when they're thick on the east side. I mean, you'll see four to 5,000 geese on a, like, 20-acre pond. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they're packed in there. Yeah. But. Yeah. It, it, it really kind of depends. Like, I mean, we have the prairie pothole region on the east side of the state, obviously. Um, but the, the landscape kind of changes. You know, you get, like, on the southern side of eastern South Dakota, and there's not as many ponds you know there's a few bigger lakes uh and then as the further you get north the more water there starts to be and so it just kind of depends like typically when the birds first show up they always either sit on lewis and clark uh, which is basically just the missouri river dammed up or lake andes um which is a is a national refuge and then after that then they kind of disperse and then once once water starts opening up then you'll find them hanging out on pasture ponds and stuff but those we do get some huge, like, monster roosts when the, the front edge is pushing through on some of those bigger lakes. Um, I, I lived in Lake Andes for a couple of years, and the last spring I lived there, that whole entire lake got covered up, and I don't know what the exact count was, but, I man, I, would, I wouldn't doubt if there was a million birds in there, and they were there for, like, two days, and then the whole lake was empty, so... <laughs> But it was covered in goose poop. <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was wild to see. You could you could hear them from you could hear them from miles away when when all those birds were sitting there. Oh, I bet. Uh, I'm just curious. What do you guys or what are you guys running for a hide? Are you guys a frames? You guys laying in the decoys or? So we kind of do. We've done all three. Um, you know, originally we always use layout blinds. Um, and then <clears throat> we kind of progressively rolled into using ghillie blankets and backboards and whites. Gotcha. Um, and then I have hunted snogies a few times out of A-frames, but it's not, you know, it's not my favorite thing to do just cause you can't see what's going on as good. And a lot of times when you're snogie hunting, there's just a lot of chaos going on with the way birds are working and stuff. And when you're trying to hide an A-frame, you kind of block out most of that viewing so it's just it's a little bit different um and whites i think whites when when you do it right i think whites work the best but if it's cold out or it's super muddy or something i'll, I'll take a layout blind any day so gotcha yeah we we usually hunt uh at a frames i got a the one of the guys that i hunt with uh pretty much all the time he's a vet from afghanistan he broke his back so Unfortunately, you just can't do the layouts anymore and stuff. So we yeah, we, we know we mostly hunt a frames. I guess last year we did pit blinds, but 
it seems it seems to work. I think girl or uh, snow geese are really finicky about it, but at the same time, like I, I've had too many experiences with them working, so I don't know. I think it's mostly mm-hmm. depending on where it's at and how well uh, brushed in you are. But like this year, we're putting them under a couple of trees and we're brushing them in really good. So I don't think we'll have a problem this year. But I don't know. You know, there's no. Yeah, I mean, when you can blend them in, they 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 work awesome. Uh, I'm not, you know, and you see guys putting them out like in the middle of fields all the time on on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And I'm just never. I guess I've never. Uh, never tried that just cause it's always like, it just seems like it wouldn't work, but obviously it does. But yeah. Now skipping a beat a little bit, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about e-callers. Um, what, how many do you use two or one? How many e-callers are you using? So it kind of depends. Like if we're, if we're hunting like a feed and we're just putting out like four, four or 500 decoys. Well, we typically always run four collars. And, uh, the way we set those is like, if you're sitting in the decoys, we'll have a collar. Well, probably five to 10 yards in front of the, the shooters, one off on each side and then one directly behind us. You gotta make like a diamond shape with the collars um if we're hunting like migrators or putting a bigger spread out than that then we've put out all the way up to i think the most we've ever put out is 12 four speaker collars at one time but you know i think one to two is definitely super effective i mean putting more than that out i think at that point it's just it makes you feel better about what you have out i don't know if it necessarily is a game changer but I'm surprised that I'm surprised that you have any uh, li- listening. I'm surprised your ears still yeah. work after that, man. <laughs> Having that right. many callers and that like, I I would I would say like the A frames kind of block some of that that noise when you sit down the A frame. But man, like I I've been on I think I've, yeah I've been on one guided hunt and we laid in and haven't I think at that time I think I had with one or two. But man, eh, you'll definitely hear it when you're sleeping. Not gonna lie. So oh, yeah, I'm definitely. surprised that I'm surprised that you're running four of them and you can still hear. Well, and then, I mean, we, we run our sound a lot quieter than I think most people do. Like, um, you know, like the MP3 players that come with the callers, they go up to, to 30 and the loudest caller we have sitting in the spread is, I mean, at the most, we're probably putting, putting that MP3 player at like 16 to 18. Um, and then, you know, if we do put out more than four, as they get progressively further away, they get quieter and quieter trying to make it, you know, sound like all the excitement, all the food or whatever is at the top end of the spread. Or if you're sitting in the middle of the spread or at the downwind side of the spread, you kind of make that the loudest part where you want to shoot them. And then everything after that gets quieter. So, and then we turn our collars off in between flocks, um, like the first couple collars I ever made, they didn't have remotes or nothing. And yeah, man, you listen to that collar all day and it about, about drives you crazy. Yeah. Uh, Jerry's got to the point where he just leaves them on. Sometimes it's a a pain in the butt and you still hear it in your dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I know what you mean. I will say I've been sitting in a blind a couple of times where you like, it's really odd, you know, like, 
maybe it's just me, but I'll be sitting in the A-frame and I'll be, you know, the e-caller is going, I'm like half asleep or on my phone and it's like really odd. You can still pick out like real snow geese compared to your collar. And maybe it's mm-hmm. just because like you, your ears pick it up out of the air rather than being like towards the ground. But like, uh, especially like I, I always pick out Rossies because Rossies just usually tend to like appear out of nowhere and they have like that very distinct squawk. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah. oh, there's something out here. Like, oh, there's something <laughs> coming in. Uh, thank God for Rossies, man. They've saved more snow goose hunts than I can I can remember. <laughs> yeah, the Rossies are definitely uh, definitely awesome birds. But I was uh, I was yeah, there again. I was watching another YouTube video because I was dreaming about snow goose. I guess, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was saying, I guess from his point of view, um, he was saying that quiet, like being quieter as of the last couple of years, has helped not you know blasting it out there what's your opinion on that yeah so that's i mean that's kind of the whole premises and our whole theory on on running e-collars is higher quality sound you know where it's more clear and more crisp and more realistic um at a quieter volume level over you know the the super loud and um just like blow your eardrums out type of sound um and that's kind of what, that's how we went away from hunting over power horns is just like, you you could tell when birds were working, they'd get right over the top of the horn a lot of times and they'd bug out or they'd slide or flare or whatever. And then once we started hunting over non-power horn speakers, it, it seems like a lot of times once they pick out your hide, they, they don't, they don't do that ever. And then they'll actually try to finish right on top of some speakers. I've seen that tons of times since we switched um from hunting over power horns so i I completely agree quieter sound um worked a lot better in my opinion Mm -hmm. i'll have to try that this year especially since we have a second one which will be really nice because that's a i think that's been a struggle we've had is that birds tend to especially i I don't know i think last year we we struggled with that some because I think uh, two parts that we really struggled with last year is there was there's some guys that guide up off the Missouri that were they're like two miles two miles south of us so most of snow geese had come up off the Missouri either work them get shot by them then they come up to us and I think that hurt us and I think the other part of it was they'd they'd get really close to speakers and uh, you know he tends to leave it up really loud. And they pick out those speakers, and they they get to like fifty to seventy, and then they just kind of bug out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely a learning curve last year, and we would turn those speakers down uh, about halfway through, and I think we did a lot better after that. So that, or maybe it's just because the second half was juvie, so that's a win. <laughs> yeah, the juvies definitely. Uh, I mean, at that point, if they're all all juvies, then you can get away with a lot more stuff, but um, no, I mean, and there's like, uh, there's, you know, there's people that, that adjust the sound constantly. Like when the birds are spinning, you know, when they go further away, they crank the, crank the sound way up. And then when they get closer, they, they turn it way down with those horn collars. And kind of what we found is once you find a, a volume level where, you know, they're not bugging out or flaring or sliding, you can pretty much just leave it. 
on that volume level the whole entire hunt. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, like a horn speaker is directional. It's a directional cone speaker. So it's pushing all of the sound into a small area a lot further. Whereas you, when you're using like the speakers we use on our callers, it's, it's a regular speaker. So it, it gets pushed into a bigger area, but it just doesn't go as far. And it's not like right in your face when you, when you get right over the top of them. So I think, you know, I think that helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just, <clears throat> I would say it's, it would definitely mean that it's more authentic. I think that's a big mm-hmm. thing is like, you're talking about clarity and quality. I think the authenticity of actually snow geese, uh, feeding. Cause it, you know, like them blaring when it just blares out that sound, it just, it does it get their attention. Yes. But is it authentic? No. And I think the, the authenticity really makes the difference on them finishing, you know, getting in their attention yeah. is one thing, but getting them, I would say like for snow geese like that, 50 to 60 range is exactly where they like to hang if they're not going to finish. And yep. it haunts your nightmares. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it it really does. Like, it, it, there's nothing more irritating than getting, like, doing all the work, everything, getting a snow goose to 50 or 60 and then just hanging out and then sliding and then just picking up in the air, going somewhere else. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Why? Why did I? Why did I spend all this money on decoys? <laughs> yeah, and it, it's crazy how quickly you know, like a snow goose can go from you know, say like 150 yards, and then they they either maple leaf or they you know vertically drop, and then they just get to that like you're saying, that invisible wall where it's like 50 to 60 yards, and then just stop. And it's like, man, like you guys were just you just made like 40 or 50 yards in like two seconds, and you would have came down like another. 20 yards we probably would have been shooting but so that, that actually kind of brings up a question that i've been more in my mind when we were talking about controversial like the jumping uh what what range would you say you guys try and shoot your snow geese at uh you know i mean obviously the closer the better yeah. I, what, I, I like 20 to 20 to 40 yards that's okay. probably I mean, you can obviously, you can shoot birds after 40 yards, but at that point, like, I think you cripple a lot more birds and so the, and the, like that. the controversial aspect of it that I'm trying to bring in is, though I have not, like, this will be the first year that I will have hardcore, or, like, actually participated in a, a snow goose season. Um, I have, I mean, I have been a waterfowler for a long time, and so I've, you know, I've heard you know, people talk about snow geese and how they've gotten much harder, especially in the last five or six years, I would say. Do you, th- like, in my opinion, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to bash people on YouTube or the internet, but I think part of the reason that snow geese have become so hard is because people shoot them at like 50 to 70 yards. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I, I, I would love to say that people shouldn't do that, but the reality is they're going to do it. But I just, I, I just curious if you, you buy into that or, um, if there's just, you just think there's other reasons that they've become hard. No, I think, I think hunting pressure definitely, definitely plays a big, big, big role in, 
and why they get harder to hunt. I mean, they get hunted from September when they show up in Canada and they get shot pretty much every single day until they get back, you know, to the tundra essentially because guys are hunting them into May in Canada. So, um, I think any, any bird that gets shot at eight months out of the year is, is definitely going to be a little bit more weary, but, yeah. um, I, you know, taking those longer shots, uh, definitely, you know, then you're, you're not killing as many birds and you're just educating a lot more of them. So, yeah. Well, I think, and the, the, this is my opinion, mm-hmm. take this for the grain of salt, but, and I hate to, I'm not trying to offend, offend anybody or get anybody mad, but if you are, I'm not really sorry about it either, but, <laughs> uh, talking about like, I hate to say, but outfitters, if you take an outfitter, and you've been on one of those experiences where snow geese are just being snow geese, mm-hmm. and you got clients that are can be. This is a big thing with snow goose season is, I feel like uh, the typical guy that ends up going out to snow goose hunt for a guide has a it tends to have a higher expectation than what's real. Like they see these massive piles. Mm-hmm. And then you get on this goat snow goose hunt. You don't really kill any. Say, like, you go there first day, you kill a few birds. Second day, birds aren't really working that good. You know, as a guide, you know, you get snow geese that are hanging up at 50 or 60 yards, and you got guys that are itching to just want to shoot. Yeah. Now, they don't necessarily know the range that's right. Let them rip, boys, you know. I hate to, yeah. I mean, I hate to put the pressure or sit, put the, you know, put the point at some guys and stuff, but... I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those videos you're seeing are probably on guide services, and it, the difference between really mad clients want their money back, and giving them, you know, a shot, a crack at a couple of groups that are fifty or sixty, I mean, makes a difference between getting well, paid or not. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to, like I said, I'm not trying to bash people, but the main person I think about happens to run a guide service. And I think they've really ruined waterfowl, period, when it comes to sky busting or shooting birds too high, whatever you want to say. But yeah. that's about all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> uh, you can do some investigating into my words and you'll probably understand what I'm saying or who I'm talking about. But it's well, what it I is. Mean, you got to think, okay, run run the, the thought process of a guy. Okay. If I let these guys shoot into a couple groups of fifty or sixty dollars, I'm gonna make my extra hundred dollar tip in a day, and I can go home and you know get my six pack and be happy. Yeah. Or I can be more ethical and not let them shoot. Like, yeah. No offense. What are you gonna do? Is a guy right? Personally, yeah. I know. I know what you would <laughs> Me, do, yeah. but I'm just saying. Like, I'm not saying everybody's like that. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I. I get it. That or, I mean, if you think in six guys at 300 bucks a pop wanting a refund, you know, put those dollars and cents together. Yeah. No. So, right. I'm not saying if it's well, right. I'm just saying that's where they justify it at. Oh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a fair yeah. justification. I'm not. But I think that, you know, even going back to Jared, who used to hunt Mississippi, like they used to hunt, like they used to hunt set up a permanent spread of 400 socks and they used to kill consistently kill snow geese over like 10 to 10 to 30 a day down mm-hmm. there. I mean, mm-hmm. Good luck. No offense, but unless you're hunting a good feed, three, 400 socks ain't going to do much. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 
you might get a single here and there, but realistically, you're not going to kill much. Whereas, it's just the same thing with a lot of times with ducks and geese right now. You know, everybody's kind of experiencing the issue with the added pressure of people hunting them so often. And it, it, we talk about this a lot. You know, the average hunter, even 20 to 25 years ago, would hunt, you know, in a snow goose season. Be realistic, hunt three to seven times maybe. Yeah. And there wasn't that many snow goose hunters. Well, now you got people that go pretty much every day. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. like you said, and like, not that like, not that I have the problem with it, but like being able to set a spread on a property you have permi- permission to do that on, like it allows you to be able to go every single day. Yeah. So. I don't. Yep. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just you gotta. It's it, reality. It's tough. I mean, I and I obviously I'm sure I'll experience it this year more than I ever have. But it I'm sure it becomes extremely frustrating when you've got. 1500 birds hanging at 5200 yards and you're just watching them (laughs) no i think i think the biggest part and i don't know about you but my big thing is you've got this like massive like 2300 sock spread and like you got all this stuff going on like e-collars and everything you that's the biggest thing is like you sit there and you scratch your head like what is like what is what is wrong you know like Like, you, you ask yourself, even if I had more decoys, is that really going to help? I think that's the biggest question I struggle with because it's like, I don't even, you know. I think that's why people end up wanting to quit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But Well, I know next spring I'm going to tell you, y'all have 2,300 decoys. Quit buying them. It's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. Okay, at the, actually at this point, you guys have enough that you probably could put them on multiple ponds. And run multiple spreads. We we technically are, actually. So there's another hunter in the area. I I would say if anybody wants to get hunted and, like, snow goose hunting listeners, like, joining forces with other people is a bonus. But, so going back to what I was saying, there's another guy that hunts the area that is going to hunt, like, three or four miles away Uh that they were going to jump in with us. He's got, like, 800 full bodies. And we're actually, we're setting him up over there. They're going to hunt our spread, and if it's good, we're going to hunt their spread. So, buck, like, uh, okay, jump back and forth. Because he's, he's setting in a field, and he really wanted us to set in a field, but we didn't. We wanted to hunt a water spread. I just think in, on the east side of the state, you have to wa- do some kind of water. I think so, too. On the west side, you can do fields because... The birds stay on the plat much longer than they do on the east side. Yeah. Like, I'll, too many of those birds just hit a roost for the evening and bug out. I mean, yeah. And I'm not, I don't even regularly, I mean, I don't, snow goose hunt, I know that. Yeah. Like, just from years watching them migrate, I know that. Yeah. But, well, I'm thinking about it. Uh, have you hunted any other states other than uh, Nebraska and South Dakota? Uh, I've been to Saskatchewan. Um and hunted snows in Kansas, so South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and then Saskatchewan for snowies. Um, also, also been to Montana, but not for not for snows. But gotcha. What was it, what was hunting snows like in Saskatchewan? Man, it was awesome. Um, 
I would say if you've never done that and you, uh, whether you go with a guide or just go up there and freelance, it's, it's definitely something that I think every waterfowl hunter should, should experience. It was, I mean, cause you're getting birds basically right off the, the tundra, depending on where you're at and they haven't been shot at for a few months. And it was that year we had a really good hatch too. So it was just, I mean, phenomenal. I mean, there were a few mornings where we shot, you know, our 120 snow geese in like 20 minutes. So it was, it was awesome. I, what did, what are the like snow geese like? Obviously they're, they're new. They haven't been shot at for a few months or like either that or their juvies or, or whatnot. Do they still fly that same pattern where they go way up and then come way down or is it more horizontal? You know, kind of dependent. So when we were up there, we kind of found two different groups of birds. Uh, one of the one of the groups was on like a refuge that was up there, and those birds acted a lot more like the birds you see in the spring, where like you're saying they they start way up in the air and they were a little bit tougher to hunt. Um, we had some some of our worst hunts on those birds, but the other ones it was kind of like hunting honkers, where they just they'd roll off the roost in small groups and stay fairly low all the way to the field. And then, you know, decoy like right, right away on the first pass. So I wish all snow geese did that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, me too. The best, like the best snow geese experiences I've had isn't during like spring snow goose. Some of the best spring like eric excuse me the best snow geese experience i've had is like a couple like two three of them that are mixed in with honkers and they just follow the honkers around and mm-hmm. oh my gosh actually speaking of that my best experience with snow geese surprisingly they like for starters it, it was out of season like out of season we couldn't shoot them and we knew that we had them come in land they were we're in a pit line like I actually tried to jump up and grab one, but they were like right on the pit (laughs) and they get up, they fly out. There's like two or three honks that are coming straight at us. And somehow in the midst of the craziness, they go straight out. They manage to get back in front of these honkers that are set up on our spread and land in front of the honk and, you know, in front of the honkers and land back in our spread. But (laughs) the nice part was like, they sl- they went and slid off to one side, so you know when we picked up to shoot the honkers, they were out of the way. But I was just like, I have never seen something like that. I mean, just the craziness of them, you know, us trying to jump out and catch one, and then them running, you know, taking off and getting in front of those honkers. I just never experienced something like that. But that then then again, like I always have my best experiences when they're out of season because we have some weird break in the season in like December. To like, uh, it's like mid January. Why we have a break in the season mystifies me. I have no idea why, but for whatever reason, we always get to push us fall snows real quick right there, and they always work good. But yeah, that, that is goofy. I guess you know I don't know why they just don't leave the season open from you know like September twentieth until May or whatever it is when the when the CO shuts down. If they if that's what they want, if they want them to get shot, then they should just leave it open the whole time. You you're asking the wrong person because it makes zero <laughs> sense to me. I've always scratched my head about that one, and I scratch my head about 
like we have a speckle belly season that shuts off for a while. It's like well, it's the same. It's during the same period that they shut the snow. Yeah, down. but that they're there again. Like even if I, I don't know how, I don't know how they would justify that. Just because even if like say we killed some in that time frame. Like, Nebraska kills such little speckle bellies that it wouldn't affect the population anyway, so just leave it open. I wonder if they close it because of the specs, but because specs will integrate with the snows, they they close snows too. Because, I mean, especially during, you know, main seasons, I would say, when you're, water, when you're duck hunting or shooting Canada's, and you get snows in, everybody just goes, well, there's no way I can shoot 50 of them in one go. So yeah. they're just shooting. And I wonder if they just fear because they close, close the specs, which I would argue they shouldn't do anyways. Yeah, I don't know why they do it. Spec numbers are on the rise. I mean, I didn't realize it, but Arkansas was actually three this year apparently. So yeah, most I didn't southern, know that. Most of the southern states were. So... I, I just don't know why they do it. Yeah. But jumping back here for a second, if you had to choose, like, your favorite place to haunt snows, what state would it be? Oh, South Dakota, since I've only hunted in Nebraska and Kansas just a couple times, so. You're you're not missing much in Nebraska, but I don't know what Kansas was <laughs> like. I mean, it seems like they get quite a few snows, like, during, cent- yeah. like, central, central Kansas. But... There again, I don't have any experience, so I have no idea. Right. Well, I think I think they get quite a few birds, but I don't think they get quite as many as like states. Gotcha. Hmm. So, if you had to choose between eastern South Dakota and western South Dakota, why would you rather hunt? Oh, eastern South Dakota easily. <laughs> have you ever hunted up by like the Crystal Lakes and the Far East part? Uh, like Northeast South Dakota. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's I, we hung over there a ton. Uh, actually one of my best, best friends, a couple of my best friends live East River. So one of them lives in Huron and the other one lives in Webster. So usually make a few trips over there every fall and spring. Gotcha. So you don't, you don't just hunt them in, in the spring. You hunt them during the fall too. Yeah. Gotcha. It, it kind of depends. Like if you know, there's a pretty good hatch then we'll we'll chase them quite a bit in the fall but gotcha are you just curious are you mostly like exclusively snow goose or do you like ducks and geese too oh we hunt we hunt ducks and geese a ton too i think i think we hunted oh i think 45 days or something this year for ducks and geese so gotcha if you if someone had to say you can only hunt one of those three birds the rest of your life. Which one would it be? Man, that would be that would be a tough choice. If you knew the if you knew the snow use hunting would be fairly decent every time you went, I'd probably pick snows, but um other than that, I'd probably pick oh I don't know, that's a hard that's a hard question. I know. <laughs> I'd probably pick I'd probably pick honkers or ducks if I had to just pick one. Gotcha. Yeah, I'd be the same. <laughs> I don't know. This duck season pretty rough. I, even, I will say, even after this season, I'd pick ducks. I don't and, know, man. No, to this that, season that might change. Our duck season was was really rough out here too. 
Really? Crazy. Like you know, yeah. out west, or did you go east too? Well, the, when the first trip I made in East River uh, was like in December, and a lot of stuff was freezing up at that point. And mostly there was just snow geese around, so that's pretty much all we did. We hunted ducks like one or two days and shot our birds, but um, no, out here west, like we get a pretty good amount of ducks around. Usually you'll get like the, you know, like gadwall and teal and all that stuff, like earlier in the season in October. And then our, our mallards usually show up towards the end of November, mid December. And our, like nothing showed up this year. I mean, we had a few, we had a few decent pushes of mallards, but just the numbers were not there compared to years past. And we never got any, you know, other puddle ducks around. So it was just really goofy. Um, Luckily, the goose hunting was 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 awesome, kind of all over the state. So that made up for the lack of ducks that were around. But, hmm. huh? See, so we're kind of racking our brains about duck season because I said it going preseason. I think our duck numbers are way off. But that's, I mean, that's probably a topic. But yeah, um, that that surprises me that you guys struggled during duck season just because it seemed like. From our perspective, not that it is saying like this was actual what happened, yeah. but from our perspective, it kept seeing or it seemed like ducks were staging in South Dakota, and because of the weather, they just wouldn't come down. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I mean, the the east part of the state definitely got loaded like it normally does, but a lot of our birds over here, the ducks we get, I think, come out of like Montana and North Dakota, and unless it gets really, really cold and snowy up there and then they just don't, they don't come down. And that's kind of the same thing with our, with our honkers. Um, it finally got cold and snowed up there. So, um, we got some pretty good pushes of, of geese. And I don't know if, you know, like the ducks just didn't come down with the geese or they, they pushed past us or what, but. That's really weird too. Cause we know people on the West side of the state that just of Nebraska that just honestly wrecked the ducks this year. Yeah, and I think a lot of our ducks kind of, they might be just migrating past us now and going down into that like alliance and that area down in there of Nebraska. It's it's possible they're just not stopping here anymore just for whatever reason. You guys pretty dry, I assume? Yeah, it's been it's been super dry. It's, it's pretty concerning actually, if we don't get some pretty good, pretty good snow the rest of this winter or spring rains, I think a lot of our water is probably going to dry up out here. And luckily for us out here, we have um, a few different river systems and some creek systems that birds are always use later in the season. But for that first month or two of the season, if we don't have a lot of water around them, there just isn't going to be any birds around, unfortunately. So, yeah, we kind of dealt with that a little bit is that we felt like a lot of our early season, like, mix of gray ducks and teal and everything, like, oh, the game parks pumps it, like, a couple days before season, and the hard part is, in order to be, have a lot of opportunity, you know, you get to have water the when they show up, and so we felt like a lot of our ducks skipped us just because we didn't have any water in the one they did end up putting water during, you know, so, so-called so season. They were already past us, so there was nothing we could do about it. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big issue for us, and I just, you know, it just seemed like the birds followed the water this year, and I'm curious what next, 
next year is going to be like, especially the water, the water levels. And I think it's, I mean, it's super concerning here. I mean, three quarters of the state is already on a, on drought levels. Um, and obviously it's concerning up north for duck populations. So, mm-hmm, yeah, I know North Dakota finally, they got, they've had a pretty good amount of snow up there. I guess I'm not totally sure on like Saskatchewan and Alberta and stuff if they've gotten much for weather, but if it, yeah, if it doesn't, uh, we don't refill some of those, those potholes that they use to nest on, um, and go through another year. Like, like this year where it was super dry. Uh, I think that, you know, the duck population already took a pretty good hit this last year. And if we go through another year of that. I think that, you know, the duck numbers are going to be struggling pretty bad. So. Yeah. I, I, somebody, somebody on another podcast we were talking to, he's from Louisiana. He was saying like, I think what three birds at 45 days is what he was saying. That was the rumor he had gotten. I don't, I don't know. Oh, there's no validity to it. Changing but. season. Oh, for the changing the season structure. Yeah, yeah. They were, yeah. apparently in Louisiana they are talking about shortening the season and then short like lessening your bag limit. Which mm-hmm. I hope, and we talked about this on the podcast. I really do hope they lessen the bag limits. Um, depending, oh, I should say. Depending on hatch this year, if the hatch come make they make a comeback, okay, I get it. But if they don't make a comeback and the numbers are low, I think they should be proactive in lowering bag limits. There, right. There's going to be a lot of in- interesting information that starts to come out that June end of July area when when they because they're actually going to be able to count this year. I assume. I hope they're going to count this year because they haven't counted the last two years, right? I don't know. I. It just depends on if uh, dictator Trudeau lets anybody come in the country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I know they haven't. They haven't done um, any kind of banding or count projects up on the tundra at all for the last couple of years because they didn't want to bring bring any COVID into those remote, um, you know, native villages. So, but yeah, I mean, they really need to do uh, an updated count at least up there and you know, Canada, um, where most of the birds are being produced. Um, so, yeah, to see. it is what it is. Yeah. Well, I think we probably should get wrapped up here. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, Jeremy, you got any questions for him? Uh, no, I don't think I do. I, I asked all the ones I really had, which I actually do have one question. What is the best snow goose hunt you've ever been on? Man, the best snow goose hunt. I mean, like, n- numbers-wise, which I don't consider my favorite snow goose hunt, we shot, we shot 400 in one morning. Um, I, <laughs> I'd say my one of my favorite snow goose hunts uh, actually probably happened this fall. Um, we shot, like, 185 for five of us, and it was, it was, like, textbook, like, snow goose hunt out of your dreams, like, big, huge big huge flocks working pretty much right to the ground and yeah it was pretty awesome but as far as spring hunts goes uh, one of my favorite hunts we didn't even break a hundred but we shot four of us shot 85 and that was the first time we ever used um uh blankets and and backboards and we had pretty it wasn't like a big juvie fee but it was it was decent we hunted them in the afternoon and they were coming 
a long ways to the field to see and they just like they were way up there and then they you know they see the spread in the rotaries and work down perfect and we're basically finishing right on top of those rotaries and it was yeah it was it was pretty awesome I I'm I, I'm a little speechless. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> shooting four hundred birds, I it just like I feel like your gun would just explode from being so hot of like shooting shells. Like I yeah, we had a couple gun issues on that hunt. Uh, my so I shoot a I shoot a SX three and I had a issue that spring with the you know the stock getting loose mm. after you know you shoot you run a few boxes through the through the gun through the extension um and the stock would start the nut on the stock would start making its way off so you could sit there and like jiggle the stock so i ended up having to stop shooting my gun on that hunt and shoot somebody's benelli and then another guy's extension shot off the end of his gun and like sheared all the the whatever you want to call them the, the threads off his gun Oof. acres but that oh my gosh uh, yeah, <laughs> you don't even know what to say at that moment. Then you probably got snow geese like still coming in, and you're like, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. So he had to end up shooting some like off-brand pump shotgun that somebody luckily had, and I think he was he was pretty frustrated <laughs> shooting that thing. So, <laughs> all right, uh, that that conversation uh, did bring me one more question, kind of a two-parter. Um, first of all. Since you're shooting that many birds, what in the world do you do with all those birds? And second part of that question, do you believe or disagree with the phrase sky carp? Uh, so the first part of the question, I mean, we, we eat every bird we shoot. Like if we, if you get into the snow geese like that, um, typically what we'll do is have them brought in and made get brats and like summer sausage and snack sticks and stuff like that made out of them. And then we also make, um, Rami, uh, there's a pretty good meat eater recipe where you can make a uh, goose breast pastrami and that's uh-huh. really good. And then jerky. And then, um, the stuff we don't get processed, we, we usually just, you know, throw it in the crock pot or something like that. But yeah, I mean, we, we eat every bird we shoot. I, um, and then the second part, sky carp, I think, <laughs> I don't agree with it at all. I think, I think a snow goose, especially a juvie snow goose, is better eating than any other waterfowl that you can shoot. They're, they're, they're the best eating, in my opinion. So. I, always, I always hear mixed reviews. Some people say they just taste terrible. Other people are like, it's a very underrated mm. bird. So well, I was just curious. I don't know. I made all yeah. into jerky, so I don't. I see. That's probably what I'd do. I'd do pepper sticks or something like that. Yeah, I mean, if you get them processed into something, then it doesn't really matter what yeah. the bird is. They taste good, but like, I mean, like a a really old adult snow obviously is going to taste a little more gamey and be tougher than you know a a one year old juvie. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean. I'd say I'd, I'd rather get a snow goose over a honker any day of the week. Um, See, and I've always thought they would taste good because they really like wheat and rice in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, main yeah. food sources. So you would think that they would be a a relatively good bird. So, but. 
I think the Skycart thing is just kind of a label that they've gotten over the years, and a lot of people that that refer to them as Skycarp have probably never gone out and actually and tried to cook actually, them. Yeah, well, either cook them or just had a you know a snuggie hunt where they where they work good and stuff like that. Because um, in my opinion, snogies are one of the coolest decoying waterfowl. Just the stuff they do in the air and how loud they get is is incomparable to any other bird. So that's, that's the thing is I would say like my draw to continue to snow goose hunt and not give up and lose my mind. But my draw to continue to do it is like the satisfaction of being able to actually get them to decoy and like do what they do is just, it definitely is an experience in itself and it, any snow goose or any hunter should experience at least one one time in his life sometime absolutely I, yeah i agree uh like when when fogies want a decoy and they like i was saying earlier when they go from you know like 100 or 150 yards in the air and they they leaf all the way down and decoy on the first pass i mean there is i don't think there's another bird that does that i mean it, lesser lessers tend to do that quite a bit too but just the it's like inexplainable how cool it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, all right. I think we probably hit time. I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. Before we jump off here, uh, go ahead and shout your stuff out uh, again. That way people can find you. Yep. Uh, Juby Jukebox. You can find us at jubyjukebox.com or Instagram or Facebook under the same name, Juby Jukebox. Perfect. Uh, go ahead and stay on the line. I'm going to finish this off and then we'll chat. Uh, thanks thanks again for coming on Uh, thanks listeners for listening to this podcast and make sure to jump on his social medias because I'm going to be honest he has some incredible stuff on his social media so you better uh, check that out and uh, appreciate you guys listening and have a good night